And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. How do I sound now? I sound okay? Did you ask Pop that question? Let's do it. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. Okay, here we go. And it's another edition of Hoops Adjacent on the Athletic MBA Show. David Aldrich here in D.C. Out in the Bay, my man Marcus, without his AirPods on, he's very upset. Let's see if we can get him through this. West show. side. <laughs> I'm hot. I can't stand these things. They're driving me nuts, man. It's like, why does this not work? Just work. Just work. It's a, just what you're. Just what it's you spent seven thousand dollars for. It's to work, ridiculous. Right? Just work. Like this ain't hard. <laughs> Speaking- let, let me let me get my uh sheet back together. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Speaking of work, we have. We're we're really lucky today, and this was Marcus made the call, and it was a very good call. And I don't say that just because I worked with these two people, and they're fantastic, but it's a great call because it's very, very relevant right now. If you have at all been under a rock for the last couple of weeks and you don't know the incredible Showtime documentary on Mahmoud Abdul-Ruf, Stand, the producers of that show are here with us today, Sarah Allen and Colleen Dominguez. And full disclosure, Colleen and I have been friends for a really long time. Really? <laughs> really long time. Sarah, do we have to disclose that too? Sarah, yes. Yeah. Disclose yes. <laughs> Colleen, yes. do we have to do we have to expose the fact that I go way back with your son? You know what I'm saying? We- <laughs> Yeah, it's all love. Well, Dave so, goes way back to, uh, with my son. Sarah's exactly. recently met my son, so exactly. And so, don't you know? This is going to be more conversational than our usual, <laughs> usual hardening journalism that we do on this podcast. So, mm-hmm. so Sarah, I want to start with you though. I, I, you know, we have met before. I know we've done stuff before, and and but I just love. Please tell the story about how you met Mahmoud at NABJ and and where that what that led to. Uh-huh. Well, I first, you know, I was told about Mahmoud through a friend in the Bay Area, a mentor, his name's Davey D. Cook. And Davey had interviewed Mahmoud for his radio show called Hard Knock Radio. So I was already very interested in the conversations around the Black community and the discourse with the uh, law enforcement. And he was like, you should talk to this guy. I just interviewed him. I really didn't know who Mahmoud was. I had to go research that. And then I thought I should reach out to him. So I made several attempts and I couldn't get in touch with him. It took about a year. And then when I saw that he would be at the NABJ convention and he was being honored, I just made sure I went to that um, session and I introduced myself to him and I told him, you know, I've been trying to reach out to you and I don't know if you received any of my messages. So he was like, OK, well, we can talk. And that led to me writing a story about him. Um, a good friend of mine named Eddie Masonette used to own the Sports Fan Journal. Mm-hmm. He convinced me it would be a good idea to write a story. And um, fortunately, 
um, Mahmoud was open to doing a one-on-one -on -one interview with me and we published that story on the Sports Fan Journal. And from there, that led to a couple of other things we did. I was able to help him come to San Jose State during the 50th anniversary of the Olympic protests with right. uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos. And he sat on a panel there and we wrote another story about that. And it just sort of kind of the word spread around that um, he was willing to talk to me about stuff. So uh, he had a couple of requests that came through. One of them was for a um, book deal that he did with Kaepernick Publishing. And I helped him with the deal with that um, memoir that came out in October last year. And then from there, we had another request um, for, we had actually two requests for a documentary. And that was sort of how we ended up down this path with the documentary. So look, the beginning, if you haven't seen Stan, you're gonna start crying in the first five minutes. But Sarah, when you cried, when you watched it, was it because of the content or because of all that it took to like get this actually on the screen like what was the motivation for your tears oh um both huh that's yeah <laughs> probably both i mean honestly i'm gonna say and i said this offline to david but david's contribution at the end of the film for me really does bring me to tears and it's just so profound the statement that he made i, I hate to i don't want to give it away but we have a conversation about the anthem and we couldn't have really brought it home without David. Um, and so I I didn't cry in the beginning of the film, but the ending made me cry because I just couldn't believe that we had pulled it together. And it's when I watched it, I said, this is a good movie. <laughs> I believe that it was a good movie. And it, but it just was like, you know, all the pieces came together. David was a last minute ad. And he I just can't imagine the film without him in it. Oh, well, was it an ugly cry? Was it like, <laughs> I don't know. Was it one of them chill with the one of them stop bubbles coming out? Was, and everything? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've had a few of those uh, through the course of this production, a few ugly cries. Um, we literally did, you know, put our blood, sweat and tears into this project. Um, but having when I saw it, the way it came together, it just it's it's a little overwhelming to, you know, see your hard work on a big on a screen like that. Um, it's I can't I have still processing what that feels like. I want to I want to talk to both of y'all about the pro, you know, the journey that you've taken to being producers, because it's it's you've both taken kind of unconventional paths to it. Yeah. And I just want people to understand that you, this is something that you can do. Like, you know, it's not, it's not undoable. It's not unknowable. It just require it requires some luck, but it basically requires a lot of really hard work over a period of time to, to get to your dream. And so let's start with Colleen, let's start with you and then just, just jump in afterwards about your journey to wanting to be involved in this side of journalism, as opposed to kind of the conventional and you've both done conventional journalism, but just this side of journalism. Well, okay. Well, a couple of things. First of all, I um, always, when I was a reporter at, before I was at ESPN, I was also, I was at NBC. I was a, a network news correspondent. And I always, you know, curated and booked and, you know, either wrote or helped to write my own stories. So I was always wore a producer hat in many respects, as opposed to just coming in and fronting um a story or a piece or an interview. So I think that's always just been in my DNA that I've liked 
finding stories, telling them and putting them together. But to be honest, this actually came, you know, I'm going to be straight up with you guys out of necessity for me, because after I left ESPN and I went to Fox Sports, uh, it's not a big secret in 2015 or 16, I, I filed a, a age and gender discrimination lawsuit. Uh, and after that was resolved, um, I actually thought that I would, oh, people are going to just hire me back. You know what I mean? I'm just going to go back to work. Everything's fine. I couldn't get a cup of coffee. I could, nobody would get me any work. And I, so I sat around and thought, what am I going to do? I, I've got to, you know, and this is what I know, and this is what I'm good at. Um, and I was fortunate enough that uh, former ESPN colleague, Johnny Sweet, asked me to be a producer on Quiet Storm, the Ron Artest story um, that was also on Showtime. And I loved that process. And that film had great success. And then um, shortly thereafter, COVID and the pandemic happened and, and a lot of production shut down. So I used those literally year and a half, two years to do a deep dive and learn all about feature film production, how to make a film, how you do it, what to do. I knew this was going to be my new path. I loved it. And I wanted to learn about it. So I pretty much gave myself a master class during COVID and talked with anyone who would, you know, let me ask questions. And then in, um, I think it was early 2021, Sarah, that's when we were introduced. And Sarah had already, uh, God love her, she already had the green light from Showtime. You know, she didn't have a production company. She didn't have all the right. team together yet, but single-handedly she got the yes from showtime and so we were introduced that route and you know and then this film was even more of a master class because um i produced this film jocelyn rose lyons is the director sarah is the executive producer so not only were we hands-on seven days a week you know uh with all due respect to the all the folks at mandalay it was a team of women who made this film sarah what was that pitch like you go to you're trying to get Showtime to to buy into you doing this, bringing this home, landing the plane. What was that pitch meeting like? Well, to be honest with you, we didn't really have to pitch Mahmoud's story because they always wanted to do it. It was a passion project for um, Stephen Espinoza and Vinny Mahatra that we uh, met with them. So it was pretty. It was an easy sell, but it was the harder part was working through all of the pieces that needed to be brought together. We did have to find a director. We did have to uh, find a production company to work with us. And um, when I met Colleen, I didn't want them to just utilize her contacts. And so she was one of the people that I asked them to hire. And so we did have a small team that came with the project and we had to make sure that they stayed intact and we didn't break up the band, so to speak. So that was the hard part. But the Mahmoud story, I mean, it's, it has so many layers to it and it's controversial and Showtime loves edgy stuff. So we didn't have to sell them on that at all. Colleen, as one who's done a, a, a million interviews, right, and had to kind of pull stuff out of people, I find it fascinating that Mahmoud went from not talking about this to literally pouring his heart out, like on camera, like... Talk about that process and like, was it easy to get him there? Like, like, how did that work? 
Okay, so I'm going to, and I just said it was a team of women who made this film, and our good friend and co-producer Tom Friend's probably going to be calling us up as soon as he sees this, because Tom Friend, who I'm, many people know is a longtime sports writer and sure. was a producer on this film, he actually did Mahmoud's interview. We were all there when he did it. It was the first interview that was done for the film. It was two days. Uh, the first day was eight hours. I think uh, the second day was almost five or six. And um, Tom had done such a deep dive on Mahmoud's life. He came to that interview with a binder of questions. Uh, and it, that's why it took two full days to do it. So Tom really knew his subject matter. And I think Mahmoud knew that. He could tell by Tom's questions that Tom not only knew Mahmoud's story, he knew basketball. Um, he was a, a, a his historian of the game. And I think Mahmoud respected that right off the, the top. And then I also do think, and Sarah can talk to this more, that Mahmoud was just ready to tell his story. I think he knew it was time and he was ready to do a deep dive. Yeah, he had already, um, I think, almost then finished with his book. So he kind of started, you know, kind of pouring some of that stuff out. Um, we never thought anybody but Tom would interview him because we just felt that he would be very thorough and he was so committed. I mean, he did not mind sitting there for eight hours. And we had a PA that had to go through all the questions to make sure we didn't miss anything. So yeah, he was very committed and, and we felt confident that he would be able to be the one that brings the emotion out of Mahmoud. Um, and they literally met like right when they sat down. Wow. Wow. So, Sarah, how did how did what was Mahmoud's growth through the whole process from the beginning of like when you interviewed him for the piece for Sports Fan Journal to the to the guy who's willing to do that? Was that was that a, did you have to get him there or yeah. was he right from the beginning? No, it took like a year for me to convince him to do a documentary. I mean, I would see him in different places um, and I'll be like, hi, can we talk about this? And. He, you know, he just was, I think he was on the fence. He was on the fence about doing a book deal. I think it was just a lot for him to process. Um, but he did come around eventually and agreed that we could go, you know, talk to Showtime and, and really explore that. So there has been a lot of growth and he, we were impressed with how vulnerable he was able to be in front of a room of strangers. Um, but also the room, I remember being there and it did feel very, um, inclusive and you know comfortable um i think we set up an environment for him where he could feel like he could be himself how how did you do that i mean we had i, I don't know the room was really nice like it was a um house that, or like a warehouse style. It was a warehouse that was someone's actual home <laughs> which we oh, found wow. out okay. you know midway through sh shooting but I just think the crew, everyone, you know, you sometimes have these circumstances where crews gel instantly. And I think everyone did. And um, Sarah and I had gotten to know each other. Uh, Tom and I have known each other for years. And I just think that, I don't know, it just seemed to really be a comfortable vibe. And I think, you know, Mahmoud doesn't trust easily. He doesn't trust the system. He doesn't trust easily, but he clearly trusts Sarah. And I think that's where his comfort level came from. She was there. She was always in his line of sight. And, you know, everything went very smoothly. Mm -hmm. Is, I, I, want, I wanted to ask you that because he has every right to be mistrustful of the media. 
there are some people who don't who just do it because they do it but he actually had to live it and and so he has every right to not think that people are going to give him a fair sh- a fair shake so how did what was the process do you think that led him to say i can trust you i can uh, you're going to tell my story honestly and fairly yeah that i mean that's a good question i think i just felt uh i was very empathetic um about what he had been through and i didn't have a full understanding of what the media had really done until we started digging deep into um this film and you know he had kind of mentioned to me something about hbo but i didn't know what that was i just knew something's happened where maybe his words have been taken out of context or you know he was thrown for a loop some kind of way um we didn't really talk about that but i did my best if i was writing stories you know to make sure that he didn't feel like i took anything out of context i would let him know like i'm this is on the record this is not on the record you know we would be very clear about that with each other i also think he uh mahmoud very much trusted steven espinosa who was really hands on in the whole process got to know mahmoud got to know everyone and i think to have you know for mahmoud to trust the president of showtime sports that just went a long way with him letting his guard down and letting us put together the film so we have you two and then you have the uh director uh another woman i want to hear the stories behind the scenes of how y'all had to fight for everything you got like <laughs> did, i mean did you guys have to like gang up like what was it like being I can only imagine what it's like being a woman in the industry and saying, I'm doing this. I can't imagine the hurdles. I don't know. I'm a guy, but I'm sure y'all got some brass knuckles out of this. huh? And, well, Sarah will tell you, we just have compared notes like over the years, we've been mansplained many, many times. And so uh, it are things getting better? I, I mean, there were a lot, of, like I said, there were a lot of women in positions of power on this film, our line producer, Jen Kern, like I said, Jocelyn Rose Lyons, the director, Sarah's an executive producer, a woman of color. I'm the producer. Um, That in itself, especially for a sports documentary, even though we view it as more than a sports documentary, that's just unusual. And so we fought battles for sure, but we stood our ground a lot of the time, much to the chagrin of maybe others involved. But we, you know, we backed up our our opinions with, you know, sound reasonings on why things should be the way they should be. I think the hardest thing was we did all of these interviews. And, you know, um, I did Jalen Rose, Rose's interview and it was at least an hour long. And um, Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, um, uh, Sarah interviewed Ice Cube. These were all lengthy interviews. Yeah. And so you have so much stuff that never made the film. I, I, you know, that's what I think hurts when you look at all the babies on the floor that you had to leave behind. And so that was maybe the biggest battle. Do we include this? Do we not include this? The making the edits was really, that was tough. I don't know, D.A. sound like she being humble. I heard Colleen was a gangster. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> well... <laughs> Yeah, I, I'll I'll say if it wasn't for Colleen, um, we it wouldn't there wouldn't be a film on Showtime, and and I had a sense about that with her. But also, you do need men to advocate for you, and we were so blessed that Stephen Espinoza is just a twenty first century man, and anytime we got pushback from you know whoever, 
he always supported us. And, and he approached me from day one. Um, he said, I want us to be partners. And I felt that although he's the president of Showtime Sports, he never treated me like I wasn't an equal. And that, that's one of the things that came out of this for me that I really wanted to highlight publicly, because I don't know if people realize how much of an advocate he is for, um, you know, women working in, in sports media and film. Um, he really did champion us and he encouraged me to use my voice, which as an executive producer, I hadn't done that job before. And he could have definitely said, you're not experienced. Someone else needs to do it. And he didn't do that. And so I'm forever grateful that he trusted some of these decisions that I had to make. Um, and he let me put people in place like Colleen that changed really the trajectory of the film. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash NBA show 23 and get started. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Colleen. So you had Steph Curry, mm-hmm. Shaquille O'Neal, Jalen Rose. I mean, the list of uh interviews in this thing was crazy. I know. Was DA the hardest one to get? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I was a little worried when I made the call to ask him because I know that a lot of people call him up and ask him to either appear in their documentary or can I do a quick interview or get some sound for you? I know that that happens to him a lot over the years. And I thought he is going to just roll his eyes with my request. (laughs) 
but he was gracious. He, I mean, no, it was, no, it was, no it was so grateful that you did the interview. It was incredible. Well, yeah, he was harder to get to Steph Curry. Got it. I got people, you know that. <laughs> I was so happy just to, to be asked, you know, because I've told Colleen that story and many times about being at ESPN when all that was going down and going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, I, I think you were the only national broadcast journalist that went on camera and supported his stance, uh, you know, um, and not standing for the anthem because I knew there were some op-ed writers that uh, wrote um, articles that said, we don't need the national anthem in sporting events anymore. And yeah. I think that's, you know, that debate's been going on for decades. Sure. But there were some people that wrote that in 1996. But I do believe, David, that you were the first one that went on on camera and said that he well, has a right to do what he's doing. I this was I was dumbstruck that this was this was an actual position people were taking. <laughs> I just I I mean, I get it. Like I know what country I'm in. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. Like, but it was like, wait a minute, he's, it's not like he's burning a flag during the playing of the anthem. He just doesn't want to be there. Like, what are we talking about? You know, like, this is insane that we're having this discussion about it's somebody on the bench or who's just removing themselves. That's all he's doing. <laughs> oh, anyway, anyway, I, I, I was stunned. I will say this. I was stunned that Scott Hastings starts crying. What, <laughs> What, how did that happen? What, what was going on well, with that? Everybody in this thing is crying. Like, <laughs> and so Tom, so, okay, so first Tom Friend did that interview. And so just to give you a little background, um, we initially had a director and he left right at the start of production for another film. And then we had a second director and he had some health concerns and he had to leave. At this point in time, Showtime initially was going to air this film in October and it was march and so uh we just did all hands on deck so tom friend went to denver did all those interviews sarah and i we went down to gulfport uh did the bay area we just tom flew uh to houston to interview the doctor so we just did all these interviews but when we saw the scott hastings interview we all said to tom what happened <laughs> and he said he just started crying yeah. I've known Hastings for 20 years. I've never seen him cry about anything. That's crazy. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah, I. that's one of the parts in the movie that hits me too. Um, it, you know, I want to say that when you see someone like him be hurt by what Mahmoud went through, you expect that from someone that looks like me or Marcus or David. You don't really expect that from, you know, a white man. And so that I felt was necessary for others to see that this is not just us complaining about it. You know, obviously others are offended too. And I'm so happy that he felt vulnerable to, to just tell us like that I'm, this is still hurts me to today, you know, 20 years later. Sarah, and one of the, one of the things I love about this documentary is in addition to pointing out like his historical context and, and his faith, it really talks about basketball and how this dude was really good. Like how that dude was that dude for right? me. Like, I, I think people miss that part <laughs> about him. Like he was, you know, you hear Steph Curry and Steve Nash, like, no, he like, this was Steph before Steph. Right. And yep. like him and Drazen Petrovic, I think are two people 
who would have absolutely balled in this day and age that nobody think about. How important was it to make sure like how good he was in the basketball element was part of it? Because I didn't even know he was that good in high school. Like all that was news to me. I just remember him at LSU. Well, Colleen had an excellent idea. I think you should speak to that and how we illustrated how uh, the comparisons between Mahmoud and Steph. Oh, well, because everyone all in so many interviews, people said he was Steph before Steph. And so at one point we were trying to show that. And I said, let's just do a split screen and put Steph's moves on one side and and Mahmoud's on the other. And then uh, our editor, who's fantastic, Dan Shulman means he went through all the archival and just found these so matching point, shots bro. of Stefan Mahmoud. So Isn't it crazy? Yeah, it was wild. <laughs> Unbelievable. And when we found that shot, uh, Marcus, because you said you hadn't didn't know about him in high school, but when he we found out that he dunked the ball in seventh or eighth grade and we got that, we found that video, we felt like we won the lottery, you know, just because <laughs> wow, there's video, there's footage of that. So yeah, and we found out really, I think we all knew he was good, but once you watch it, you really, you really see the the skill level, the talent level. And so many people have said, well, I knew he was good. I didn't know he was that good. And we've heard that comment a lot. Yeah. In the building range, he was unstoppable. He's unguardable. He's unguardable. It, it just- was that, that, like, at the time, that transition pull-up three, like, you like you got sat down for that, even if you made it like you like, yo, you're coming out the game. You don't get to do that. Right, right, that was right. like a normal thing for him. Like speed up the court, pull up on a dime, bink. Like it was bucket. I just yeah. I just really liked seeing that part. Like, you know, hearing Shaq saying, nah, that dude was the star on campus. Like he was the big man. I mean, I think was, about it, you got Shaq and Stanley Roberts, right? And it right, was right. really mock moved. You know what right. I mean? He was the star of that team. Right. Right. What what I, I we were talking before about how I think, you know, younger people obviously don't know this story. Right. If you're under 30, you probably don't know this. But how important was it for you all or was it important at all? Maybe it wasn't that young players in the league understand what went down with this and that this was something that happened and could still happen in their league because the rule hasn't really changed in the last 30 years. I think that was why we wanted Steph there because he speaks to what Mahmoud's protest, um, you know, did for them in terms of them being able to be vocal about social justice issues. And obviously we've seen that um, LeBron can go to Twitter and, you know, call the president a name and, and Steph can say, I refuse to go to the uh, white house. But a lot of that is because of what Mahmoud sacrificed. And, and it was nice to hear Steph acknowledge that. Um, and that was if we couldn't have gotten him in the film, I don't know if we would really would have been able to give that message. Um, right. But it was definitely important for us to uh, show that part and for the younger generation to see, yes, Steph is he's all that, but he's not really the first one to do what he's doing. And that was important to us. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Craig Hodges too. While we're while we're talking about these 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 people that sacrificed uh, for the for the rest of basketball, you know. But yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm I'm just happy that people understand. Like Marcus said, there's the totality of his talent. Him him and Arenas are the two guys that I just think people don't they don't know how good those guys were. Like Not they really just good. don't know how good they were. <laughs> How, oh my God! How unstoppable they were. Um, because Gilbert's all into some other stuff now that that 
you have to kind of paw your way through. But he was so talented on the floor, and Mahmoud was so talented on the floor. What do you think – what does he do now? What does he want to do, and how does he get there, do you think? That's a good question. Um, I mean, are you think? Are you talking in terms of basketball, life? Do, the Everything, NBA, life. The if he just wants – yeah, anything. Everything. I think he's still committed to doing his speaking engagements, uh, spreading his, his story. Uh, I know that he has interest in uh, still being involved with the big three um, and, you know, possibly maybe moving into a coaching role with them. So um, I don't I mean, I don't think that he ever plans on not being in the best shape of his life. And that's. Oh, nah, he wanted them dudes. huh? He's going to be 89 years old out there dribbling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I see him. I don't know if I just don't. I don't know about the NBA. I don't know where, you know, how, where his trust level is with the NBA. And, but I know his love is with basketball. I think we can safely say, love. do you ever see a place for him at LSU? Is there a place for him at NBA? We get to ask that question a lot. I just think the best way to say it is he will always have basketball in his life. Yeah. However, you know, however that manifests itself. You know, right now you see that at the end of the film, his son, Amir, who uh, yeah. is playing playing for his former teammate now the golf at, at Gulfport High where Mahmoud played, and um, so that's kind of come full circle there. So he says he doesn't want to coach, but if you notice, he can't help but getting on the court telling everyone what's going on sure. when the crew was there. So I think it's I see him coaching at some point at some level would be my guess. I am reminded this fame. I've told this story many times about Rod Strickland when Rod was playing. And 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 I didn't ask the question, but I was there. And somebody said, "Well, Rod, when you're done playing, would, have you ever thought about getting into coaching?" And Rod goes, "And deal with people like me all the time." <laughs> but, but I could totally see Mock. And now, of course, Rod is coaching at Long Island, so I could totally see Mahmoud doing that. Even though, like you said, he's always in the player development space, so it would make sense for him. Maybe on the college level, maybe not on the NBA level, but on the college level, certainly. And I think his story would resonate even more with younger college kids oh. about than than it might even in the pros. Um, so I think he could definitely be a coach, player development, you know, something. He, he that, does that train space. some um, uh, current NBA players. And yeah. uh, I don't know how many, Sarah. Maybe Sarah knows more than I do on that. But I know that he still does work with um, some of the guys in the league. Yeah, and he definitely enjoys that. It's it's um, it's not quite a, a dotted line to the NBA, so I think he likes that, but he can still work with those players. I feel like that's an underutilized space anyway for former players, right? Like you see all these trainer celebrities and, you know, right. shout out to Lethal Shooter who actually did have some NBA experience, but like <laughs> he's growing up now. I was curious about like how – impactful Sarah was the big three and him being able to kind of get back in the spotlight and just what what Ice Cube and others and uh, uh have done to really keep these OGs in the spotlight mm -hmm. I mean that's one of my favorite parts of the story is watching him reinvent himself as a result of Ice Cube taking interest in him and um Ice Cube was well aware of who 
Mahmoud was in the 90s. He was well aware of what he stood for. And I think he just really wanted people of this generation to see what he was like. And he got into the league when his late 40s and he's just so he was so exciting to watch um that we were looking at what kind of footage should we put in the film and he just had so many game winning shots that i um was sifting through that we i really wish that we could have used everything um but we narrowed it down to the game in oakland because ice cube uh talked about that and that's also one of mahmoud's favorite games um, so he's just like, you know, he kind of is really amazing to watch because he is still the oldest player in the big three league. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, he's in a really good shape, um, uh, more so than some of the guys that are much younger than him. So I just feel like it definitely introduced him to a new generation of fans. And it just really, I think, drove people to go learn more about him. And Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Cube said that Mahmoud was the first player that they signed when when they were forming and talking about the big three, that that was the first name that came up, that he wanted Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf to be in the big three. And that's why his fa my favorite soundbite of his in the film is when he said, when he leaves the big three, it'll be on his terms. Right. You know, And I just thought that uh, Cube gave him a great space to play again and and just you know be part of the game again so what was what was not lost on me da yeah the amount of oakland in this whole documentary that's all yeah, i'm saying yeah. it, was <laughs> it is happening it was yeah. a lot of <laughs> yeah absolutely that our director is also from oakland but some of those uh things that we put in there were early on uh influences that i just felt I really wanted to sprinkle a little bit in there. Um, we did a, a clinic in uh, the Warriors practice facility in Oakland with kids. And those kids, my son plays basketball with them at the AAU league. And so we needed some kind of footage of Mahmoud in motion, not just sitting in front of the camera. And he likes working with kids. That's his element. So that was uh, something I set up and I was really excited about that. And then we did a lot of um, shots outside so you can see oakland when yes, he's walking yes, you you yeah baby. yeah and our our uh our dp uh gary traverso who came up with that sunset um shot he's you know he's also a san francisco state graduate like myself so we there was a lot of bay area influence in the film and you know, that was just something that we felt was a good fit for mahmoud he likes the bay area so it wasn't a stretch and, and oh, we have to give a shout out to wow. Ray Ritter and the Warriors because yeah. we asked a lot from them, not just the Steph and Steve Kerr interviews, but we wanted to shoot during uh, the NBA finals. Oh, by the way, can we come in and shoot my right, right, right. standing for yeah. the anthem? And we wanted to, and they were just so gracious, just always there to, to really say yes every time we had a request. I, can hey, I tell you how much I it. loved that scene because you didn't say a word. And that's what I loved about it. You just showed it and you had to, and you didn't say, and here's Mahmoud not standing. <laughs> you know, you didn't, don't ruin it. Just shoot it. <laughs> Let people at home see it. They don't, they know what they're seeing. That was phenomenal. It was great. That was so Look, good. Sarah, remember the gentleman that sat next to Mahmoud during that? Tell that story that yeah, he wasn't he with Mahmoud. He wasn't, but he realized who he was. So he didn't stand up either. You know, I, it was. Is that what happened? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. 
Yeah. Wow. I thought he was with him. No. He didn't just know. A, was with just him. a random dude said, I'm with you, my <laughs> And he recognized him and he didn't he sat for during the anthem kind of yeah. an homage to Mahmoud. Yeah, we you know, we got lucky because the Warriors aren't doing that well right now, and they just were killing it last year. So we were fortunate <laughs> they happened to be in the NBA finals. If we were able to hook that up, but uh -oh. That's it was all know. symmetry, symmetry, and it was serendipity that we were able to get him into the Chase Center during the NBA Finals. And to get Mahershala Ali, you know, two-time right. Oscar winner right. who's from the Bay Area. Um, and, and played and, in college. Yeah, played in college, and to, and he, he literally came, uh, we shot over in uh, the Claremont in Berkeley, and he came over there and to get him in the film. And I thought he was incredible. So it really does have a lot of Bay Area elements in there for sure. That to me was well, like, you know, I learned a lot. I, that was my era. You know, I grew up, I was in high school. Like, you know, that was, that's the nineties was me. Like I didn't, I didn't, two things I didn't know. I didn't realize it makes sense now, but at the time I didn't realize how much of it was about his faith. Right. And that it was, is that he was Islam. And I really didn't put the 9-11 connection to it. I was like, oh, yeah, that does yeah. make a lot of sense. So I he, had forgotten he about that, too, like Marcus. Strikes against him. Yeah, I was like, yeah. he almost had no shot in hindsight. But I liked Mahershala, like, bringing that element and explaining it for me. Because you just, it's, it's been so much about not standing for the anthem. But it really was more about, here's this Muslim not standing for the anthem, right? <laughs> That's really what right, it is. Right, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we really needed Mahershala to talk about his experience after 9-11 for people to get it. It wasn't just Mahmoud. You know, Mahershala got fired from one of his shows that he had been working on. And I think people people's perspective um, during that climate on Islam and people just were misguided and didn't understand that obviously it's not peaceful Muslims are not flying planes into buildings and stuff like that. And and we live through that. You know, we, we still are dealing with that. We have to take our shoes off when we go to through TSA because of these things that happened during 9-11. Right. So um, we also didn't realize how much that had an impact on my mood until we started doing our research on that. I, I swear I had forgotten about that. And then once I saw it, I was like, oh, right, right. Well, when we all watched right. the HBO interview, and we watched it from beginning to end. We all sat there and went, oh, boy. You know, because you realized oh, that. Right? <laughs> and you right. went, okay. Part of me was thinking, yo, who's advising him then? Like, that was. We right. said all this was a good idea. Exact same question. <laughs> Who told him to do this interview? Well, which was nice that we got uh, April to tell us that she was very concerned about him doing interviews like oh, that. His ex-wife, yes. Yeah, because then their house got burned down, and right. So um, I, I think that watching it, I almost was wanting to come through the TV and be like, "Wait, you know, don't answer that. It's a trap, you know." But I felt really strongly that we needed to show what media can do. You know, it can yes. actually twist up everything that you're saying, take it out of context, make you look like you're somebody you're not, and um, that is a lot to do with why he has um, a distrust for the, for media. Yeah. Uh, now they, now I, what did he say? They interviewed him for two hours or was it longer than I that? Almost, didn't she say almost six? I was think it what, six hours? I and then think they used April what, said like eight six, minutes. Yeah. And then yeah. it was, you know, truncated. Um, 
you know, we asked Sharif Nasir, who was his agent at the time. Right, right. Did you tell him to do that interview? He goes, I told him not to. So, I mean, it, I think everyone told him not to around him, but he was going to make his own decisions. And he did. And I that's yeah. why, to be honest, he that's I think we did a pretty good job in the film of showing that's why the Clippers canceled that workout. And that's why it wasn't, you know, it had been years since the anthem. It was that interview that, like he said, that ended his career. That gave him a reason yeah. to say no. It gave everybody a reason to say no. Right. Yeah. So, so let me ask you, like, f- what's next for you all? What, what's that was literally what I was about to ask? Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's the next? I got what's some the ideas, next? you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> got a couple of people well, that can want to hear them. We're got some, produ- <laughs> right. we got some producing in us. <laughs> well, when we are all offline, we'll tell you some of the stuff that all we're right. <laughs> mulling over and see what we can all come up with. Absolutely. I love this. I love this idea. No, I, 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 one thing game? we've learned is that if you say, hey, we're working on A, B, and C, someone goes, oh, A, B, and C, I want to do that. Yeah. People, people love, uh, you know, Stealing. Stealing. Thank you. So, yeah, I've learned that's one of the things I learned uh, when I was first getting into this part of the business. People said to me, Hollywood never met a good idea. They didn't love to borrow. So if you have something until you have it locked up with paperwork and ready to go. You know, yes. Yes. So I, I I always thought I want to do this one day, but then like I talked to Sarah throughout the process and it's like, yeah, I don't want to do that. So are you, is this something you would, is this something you would say do? That, I'm not nearly as tough as Sarah. Say that. Like, uh-uh. No, but okay. So I want to be, you know, transparent about what my experience was and it's not typical. It's just that we happen to get this, this thing going during COVID and there were a lot of sacrifices that were made. Colleen and I couldn't take other projects because we had to focus on this one. And so there were some hurdles that made it very difficult that we still are recovering from. You know, we have financial obligations that we're still recovering from because we focused on this film. But I wouldn't discourage you from doing this. You have to really want to do it. And there's, you know, there's people that want to say they did what we did or they're taking credit for our work. But no, actually, you wouldn't want to be where I was because I really was making a lot of sacrifices. See, and that's what I'm talking about, DA. Like, people think, I, I thought it was just like, hey, man, I got this idea. Let me write a few things, bruh. Right. She was doing everything from, like, <laughs> music, wardrobe, like, <laughs> like, you know, promo. Like, you know, <laughs> like y'all crazy. And like, it's I, all got to get, it's all a priority. It's all got to yeah, get. Right, a lot right. of work. It's a lot of work, but it's really the storytelling and the content's rewarding. When you get to tell a story, I mean, we've all, you know, David and I come from TV side where you get, someone tells you, oh, you have two minutes to tell this story. And when, so if someone lets you have an hour and 45 minutes to, you know, tell someone's story and people are willing to give you their time and sit down and talk. Right. I mean, that was my favorite part, doing a lot of the interviews and getting, you know, hearing what people had to say. And then, you know, and then watching Tom Friend weave it into a script, you know, they, it was, you know, so don't 
be discouraged, Marcus. Oh, no, I'm totally <laughs> discouraged. But I encourage you to keep doing it because I'm not. So I'm relying <laughs> on you to tell the story because you've got better. a couple so stories. When we, when we offline here and we talk about some of our potential ideas, you, you don't want to be part of it? Ah, go, go ahead. That's all Sarah. Sarah got all that, yo. <laughs> I, will, one, I will get Sarah's coffee. That's what I would do. Sarah. Right, 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 right. <laughs> The oh next one will be easier to be less painful. I mean, this right. was just, it was the first one that, you know, you kind of have to get your, your feet wet on. And and I hope I hope that after having gotten this one out, that people will uh, really respect what we did and treat us like the producers that we are. It is hard to establish that. And there's a lot of competition. But, you know, I'll just speak for over here. Colleen is a really hard worker and she deserves to have more projects like this. And I hope people won't be asleep on that. I see showrunners in, in your future. I see it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy. I'm just, this makes me so happy. That's why I'm happy. I was happy to do this today because I, I just, I love when good people get rewarded for Aww. doing the right thing. I really do. I, it makes me happy um, because, as you know, that doesn't happen a lot in this business. <laughs> so, so I'm glad that y'all are getting your flowers because it's it's a great, great documentary. It's stand. It's on Showtime. Like, no, it's really good. Like, I was no, trying no, to it's figure great. out. I it's was great. not say it if it's not. Like, what was I going to tell Sarah? Like, that's not wrong. Like, how do I? No, you can say you can say it's actually really good. I have idea. Yeah, Marcus has been there. I mean, you guys, Colleen and David, know each other, but Marcus is, has been a rock. And I don't know how long we've known each other. I know it's been uh, several years. Yeah, don't know how we became friends. I don't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> I don't I know. Ask, you don't know how you how do you become friends with people? You that just become friends question. with them. That's yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> I Marcus is a real person and she he really has supported me through this process because I know I did have a lot, you know, like it was always something. And I started feeling like people are probably tired of listening to this. But Marcus never, you know, he was always there. And so oh, you yeah, be you, you, you scared him. You scared him off to future projects. I know, no, no. He didn't. Oh, it's just like listen, like the amount of work. Like yo, I want to write something, and then I'm good. Like, <laughs> like, so you can do that. You can write the it. Amount of work. I'm yeah, finished. Oh man. Like, she's like, yeah. So we working on the music. Like, what you mean you working on the music? Like, I, right. That's Clarence. Exactly. Clarence. Have yeah. you ever heard of Clarence? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's not me, easy, Clarence. Colleen, I got words for you, but after that, <laughs> you need Sarah. You don't need me. Oh my god, <laughs> that's dope. That's fire. It, it is really good, though. Like it's, it's, it's actually, it's really good. It's, it's super emotive. It's funny, and I, I think the hoop is incredible. Like the hoop in it is really good. That that's the part that moved me. I was really happy with the amount of respect given to like, this dude was a baller and that really comes through. I don't know how y'all pulled that off, but that was good. Yes. We're excited that the film's gotten uh, so much word of mouth and um, just a lot of guys in the league, you know, have just word of mouth talked about it, reached out and everything. And so, I mean, yeah, it's gotten a lot of promotion, the Today Show and TNT and all of that. But just I think when a film has that talk about factor and people say, hey, did you see this? There's something really rewarding about that. 
Well, well, and not only that, Twitter and, and Instagram, like social media, I was surprised to see just regular people go to their social media and talk about the film. I do that sometimes when I like something, but I have to be really moved by it to do that. And there's so many people that are talking about it that it's that part um, makes me feel uh, really like my heart is full because we did work very hard and we made that film for those people. We want them to love it. So that means like it wasn't all done in vain, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's phenomenal. It's it, Thank please you. watch it on, on Showtime. It's called Stand. Sarah Allen, Colleen Dominguez, thank you so much for coming on my little podcast today. This has been phenomenal and great. Thank you for having you us. Trying to be all humble. You're like, yeah, sit down. <laughs> He's like, man, we got DA last after <laughs> Steph Curry Shaq. In the road. <laughs> <laughs> it was all right. I did all right. <laughs> yeah if not for anything check it out to see david because david stop. is a breakout star in this stop film it. humble we couldn't we really couldn't pull that film at the end together without you and i yeah. I, I just i'm a big Your interview fan. is pivotal yeah, I, don't, I, I got i got a text message from Herschel saying i was excited to be in it once i knew david was in it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't really get that text. No, you didn't. Of course you didn't. Because he doesn't, know, he doesn't know who I am, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, he does now, baby. No, he, he does, does now. Everybody. Like a guy that's in the thing with me. Yes. <laughs> I know him. All right. Leave that five-star review on Google, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get the podcast. You know where you get it by now. Marcus, if they can't leave five stars, what do they need to do? Keep it to yourself, you hater. We're gonna make you do all the grunt work, Sarah does. Exactly. You get no credit. You're not gonna get a producer credit. Right. <laughs>